With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Wolverine Confidential Podcast. I am Andrew Kahn. I am Ryan Zook. I'm Aaron McMahon. Michigan football starts Big Ten play on Saturday by welcoming Rutgers to the big house in a battle of 3-0 teams. Will Michigan continue to run wild? Can the defense remain dominant? We've got a special guest to help us sort it all out coming up on Wolverine Confidential. All right, Aaron, Ryan, there you join me in welcoming our special guest, James Cratch of our sister site, NJ.com. James, welcome. Andrew, thank you guys for having me. Absolutely. So we're here to talk the Big Ten opener for both teams, Michigan and Rutgers. They're both 3-0 and in the non-conference and, you know, our, our listeners know plenty about Michigan, but can you kind of tell us, I know it's a, it's a big picture question to start, how Rutgers has sort of turned it around because three and six last year. Yes. Was that their record? In Correct. Three and Big six. Ten? Okay. Which was, you know, more wins than they'd have in the past few years before that combined, you know, three and oh start this year in non-conference. It's not like Greg Schiano could have already upped the recruiting so much that those players wouldn't really be making such an impact yet. So, so how have they, you know, turned it around here in his second stint? I think it's a couple things. One, I just think, you know, the reason why there was such an outcry to bring Shiano back 2019, it feels like it was 10 years ago. It was only two years ago was just because he is the one guy who has proven that he has the ability to kind of win at Rutgers. I mean, New Jersey is an interesting place. Rutgers is an interesting place. There's a lot of different factors and, and issues at hand, you know, North Jersey, South Jersey, Central Jersey, the parochial schools, the public schools, Greg kind of has the ability to bring everyone to the table and unite them and move them forward in one direction. So he's done that. You, know, you mentioned the recruiting has been better, but some of those guys, some of his 20 guys he signed right after he got hired in 2019, they're contributing. But really, the, the big classes are, are just here or coming up. They were very good hitting the transfer portal. They went in there and they grabbed a couple of guys who have really kind of helped out you know, this year and last year. But the biggest thing has been Greg has taken a talent that was at Rutgers when he got a, you know came in, the Chris Ash era guys after Ash got fired. He retained most of them. I, Raheem Blackshear is the only guy, you know, big name who was on a 2019 team who left. And then obviously Art Sikowski has since gone on to Illinois, but they brought Noah Bedrill and they kind of negate that. But he took the talent he's had and him and his coaching staff have just really improved these guys. I mean, it's kind of amazing to look at the team now and think about two years ago, the same guys were here. The physical transformation they've done in the strength and conditioning program is incredible. I mean, you know, I know that every strength coach has their own culture and their own maybe things they do, but lifting weights is kind of lifting weights, but it's still amazing to see how different Rutgers looks today from when they did two years ago. It's not like the former strength coach, Kenny Parker was, you know, didn't know what he was doing. These guys are back at Ohio state now. You know, and it, it just made talent. I think this year, 
They haven't turned the ball over. They're plus eight turnover margin. I believe that still leads the nation. They've played good defense, and they've had great special teams. So they've basically been a Greg Schiano team, if you look back to his first stint here. Good defense, take the ball away, don't turn it over, excellent special teams. And that's really gotten them to this 3-0 start. You, know, you mentioned New Jersey being a unique place. I should have said right from the start, great to have you know, a local on the podcast. I'm from New York. I've got these two Michiganders. They don't know a tri-state area. That term means yeah. nothing to them. They're always just confused about pizza and bagels. It, it's nice to have you on for that reason alone. Glad to be here. Yeah. So James, <laughs> do, do you like any <laughs> toppings or any condiments on, on your food? Because Andrew seems like the, is the most plain person when it comes to any sandwiches or, or really any type of food, pizza or anything. Is that uh, all New Jersey thing or, or is that just more... Or him as well, or New That's York. That's an Andrew thing, definitely. Yeah, kind of an Andrew thing, I would say. I mean, like I like a sausage or pepperoni on my pizza. Condiments, you know, like a little, you know, a little mustard, a little mayo, nothing too much. A little, you know, red wine vinaigrette on a sub, but. That's about Still it. more I mean, than Andrew. <laughs> but no, I, I, I'm not a big condiment guy, but I, I think I'm a little bit more than Andrew, it sounds like. All right, Aaron, go ahead with your football question. <laughs> I was going to say, before we get in-depth on the team, what is the latest on the suspensions? Obviously, earlier this week, you guys reported uh, Malachi Max Melton and Chris mm-hmm. Long. pair of DB, DBs were suspended after arrests. What is their status? They've obviously been suspended. Will, will they play Saturday? I don't think they're going to play. I'd be very surprised if they play. Um, we haven't met with Greg Shiano for the last time this week. Uh, as we're taping this, I think he'll kind of shed some light on that. My guess is that they will not play this because they've been suspended immediately. And their court dates are not until November. And traditionally at Rutgers, it's been kind of hit or miss. We've had summit pass instances with other programs where a player has been arrested and then been suspended, but come back before their court date. I don't know what Shiano, I mean, that's probably going to be the first question he's asked later today. Is he going to allow these guys to potentially be reinstated before they appear in court? So I would be stunned if, if either guy plays Saturday. Getting to talk to the head coach twice in a week must be nice. It is nice. It is. It's uh, it's good. So three times actually, if you count the uh, the post game. Okay. Yeah. A little paintball gun incident reminded me of the the movie Eight Mile. All right. So we'll we'll see. We'll check NJ.com for the latest on that. In this game, Michigan is up to a 20, 20 and a half point favorite. Two three and O teams. You mentioned all the positives about Rutgers. I don't. Were you a little surprised, James, by that by that number or, or no? No, I wasn't surprised by that number just because like, I still think there's sort of like a, a built-in Rutgers perception. You know, I, I even go back to, you know, there have been years where the Lions come out and it's been like 29 and a half points when it's opened and mm-hmm. they would lose by, and you look at it against it, that's a, tw- a two-touchdown loss, a three-touchdown loss. It's not that. So I definitely think there's still kind of that built-in Rutgers betting line inflation thing. But it, it, I think the line makes about sense because if you really break down the three wins Rutgers has had, you know, 61 points against Temple looked great if you're scrolling across the bottom line. They had a lot of short fields in that game. The offense wasn't terribly impressive. A complete ugly dogfight at Syracuse. The line was much better against Delaware, but again, it's, it's Delaware. I was impressed by Delaware. I think they're one of the best FCS teams in the country, but still Rutgers is a Big Ten program is going to have a major talent advantage there. But last week was only the, the first game where the offensive line played well, and then the offense really kind of stretched the ball down the field vertically, had any sort of rhythm. And then you look at the defensive side, the biggest issue, I think, for Rutgers going to this game, and the reason why that line's probably high is you guys are well aware of Michigan's rushing attack. One, Rutgers got gashed in the second half last year against the Wolverines 
one of the reasons why they kind of blew that 17-point lead in the triple overtime game. And two, the run defense was not good against Delaware. Delaware's got a you know all-American back at that level, but still blocking wasn't, you know, guys were getting moved off the ball up front. Linebackers were slow, having a hard time going sideline to sideline, lots of poor tackling efforts. So I think the combination of, you know, it's Michigan and Rutgers, that's always out there. And the fact that Rutgers doesn't really match up well with Michigan, that line, I thought it would be, I thought it would open maybe around like 17, 18 points, but I'm not surprised it's been bet up to 20. James, how much this week has last year's game being brought up there during availability? Do you get the sense that players feel like they let last year's game get away in, in New Jersey? Or what's kind of the feeling around last game? Is there extra motivation heading into the Bait House knowing what, what happened last year? It's been brought up a lot. I think they, they definitely feel like they let something get away there. It, extra motivation, you know, they haven't really let on to that. I mean, I obviously can't climb inside their heads. They have They've kind of indicated that it's last year and this is this year. They've been very kind of on script. The one thing I will say, and I, I think Greg Schiano has stressed, really dating back to the you know, media days and everything, he doesn't know how real 2020 was, he says. And I, and I think the argument I would make is, you look at Rutgers, obviously, three wins. I don't think people expect them to have that much success. Could be Illinois, you know, they could have been five and four. You know, this is a team that had their big COVID outbreak uh, before training camp was even scheduled to begin, the normal training camp. They were the only kids on campus, basically. They were able to keep the virus out, play all nine games, very disciplined, well-coached. I think there's a thought that maybe COVID was kind of a feature of their success last year, not a bug, whereas you look at a team like Michigan, and they've talked about in the past that the Michigan offensive line looked completely different in that game from what Rutgers expected early on. So I think there's – Shiano has kind of stressed that we didn't necessarily get a true accounting of every team based on the strange season we had last year. And I think that message he's kind of pushed through is that, look, that's in the past. You know, it was, it was a tough game. It was a missed opportunity. But these are two completely different teams on Saturday. You know, we, we mentioned the line. And since the suspension news came out, it's really jumped two points. And, and I'm wondering how much of an impact, you know, Rutgers not having Max Melton on Saturday is going to have in, the, in their secondary against Michigan's passing game. Who steps in and what do you think happens with, with their secondary with him out? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. There's a couple of things that could happen. Patrice Rene, who was a, started at cornerback in North Carolina, grad transfer in, he's missed the first three games this season with some injury. They've said he's getting close. I think there's a possibility he's ready to go on Saturday. If he's ready to go, you know, obviously he might be a little rusty. He's going to slide right in, and they don't really have to change much with their defensive scheme. He'll just replace Melton at cornerback. But if he's not ready, they've got two options. Avery Young, who's cornerback, Started for three years, moved to safety in the offseason. You could shift him back, but then you're going to be putting a backup or a more younger, you know, younger, inexperienced guy at safety. Or they could potentially, they've been doing a lot of kind of 4 2 5 looks this year to get an extra defensive back on the field or extra pass rusher sometimes. Trey Avery, cornerback, has kind of played some kind of like a hybrid, you know, defensive back, linebacker role. They could slide him back to the outside and just go with three linebackers, which you might already be doing given Michigan's rushing attack. But they have a couple options to replace. It's not the end of the world, but they are getting to the point where if they lose one more corner defensive back due to injury, especially a corner, they're going to be in a lot of trouble. You know, we we mentioned here on this podcast last week uh, how it was kind of unique that Michigan was playing uh, the Huskies two weeks in a row, and now you've got Rutgers facing the Winged Helmet two weeks in yes. a row. I don't know when does when does that happen. I mean, there's only one other <laughs> one other school that wears it. You guys know who it is? The third team that wears the Winged Helmet little trivia here on the Wolverine Confidential Podcast. They were actually the first school to do it. Michigan was not. Michigan 
Michigan's coach came from this school. I do know. I actually Bur- know. Who brought it to Michigan. That school then got rid of it foolishly. And by the time they brought it back, no one associated it with that school anymore. Out of the Ivy League, it is. Princeton. Princeton. Oh. Got, theirs are mostly orange. But yeah, anyway, so you, you mentioned their inability to kind of slow the run in that game. Uh, I mean, that that's kind of was is the big question here. You've got to make Michigan throw the ball right now. I'm not saying that they can't, but they're unproven there. I mean, their quarterback still doesn't have that many starts under his belt. Their receivers, since they lost their best one in the opener, are mostly unproven. Can Rutgers force Michigan to throw the ball to beat them, or or do you think it'll be another kind of field day for Blake Corum, Hassan Haskins, and, and this rushing attack? I think Rutgers is going to have a hard time stopping the run. Because when I you know, rewatch the Delaware game, Delaware didn't necessarily do anything you know, special. They blocked the four-man front, and they you know, got to the edge, and Rutgers, you know, the linebackers weren't able to go sideline to sideline, and they kind of made some guys miss the second and third level on tackling attempts. So I think that's the issue. I didn't see anything exotic that Delaware did to run the ball, and Michigan's going to be much better up front. They've got better backs. So I think it's a really tough matchup for Rutgers. On the flip side, how do you think Rutgers is going to try and move the ball on this Michigan defense? That's a great question. I, I think you're going to see a lot of quick passes. They're going to try to get the ball downfield. They had more success against Delaware doing that, but they also were max protecting. They had seven, even eight guys in staying in with two or three guys running patterns downfield. I don't think that's necessarily going to be a recipe for success against Michigan. Their defensive backs are going to be better on an island, obviously. I think you're going to see a lot of quick passes. They're going to try to establish the run game. You know, I think the one kind of saving grace is that Rutgers' offensive line has obviously been up and down. They're going to have some rotation play in there. Michigan's doesn't have a tremendous amount of tackles for loss. I know this. So I think that could help Rutgers. You know, kind of they've had a lot of negative plays allowed this year. But I think it definitely it's going to be quick passes. They're just going to try to get the ball to Bill Melton, Aaron Crookshank, you know, Shameen Jones in space and try to let them make a cut and then make go from there. James, on that note, how, how has Noah Vedral looked this year? Because I look at his stats, 71% completion percentage, 606 passing yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. It sounds like he's playing a relatively clean game. How, how has he looked through three to you? He's been up and down. You know, I think obviously Delaware was his best game. You know, the completion percentage has been great, hasn't turned the ball over, but he just the biggest issue I think they've had is he hasn't been able to get the ball down the field. There's been a lot of debate around here about his arm strength or lack thereof. I would argue that I don't think he has got the best arm in the world, but we can't really tell when he doesn't have the time and the protection from the offensive line to throw the ball down the field. You know, and I think another thing too, is he's been great. Hasn't turned the ball over yet this year. He had some turnovers last year. I think he had nine touchdown passes, eight interceptions. He had some backbreakers in their loss against Illinois game. They should have won. So I think there's also that, and there's also always going to be the consideration of this is a guy who missed a game due to injury last year. He had some injury issues when he was in Nebraska. They don't have much depth behind him. So I think that's always going to be a concern. You know, what happens if he goes down? I think it kind of in a way limits their offense because Bedwell's a really good threat with his legs. I mean, when he, they did some design quarterback runs last week. He's a guy, the offense looks really different when he's running the ball, when he's picking up first downs. But I don't know if they can go all in on using him as a rushing threat just because you're afraid if something happens to him, what's behind him. Let's talk past Wolverines, and then I'll let, I'll let Ryan uh, start the conversation on, on potentially future Wolverines. From my count, uh, Rutgers has, uh, we'll call it one and a half former Wolverines, because I've got, I've got Drew Singleton. He's starting for Rutgers, yes, along the de- defensive line, uh, I think I saw. 
Uh, yes, that. he's a linebacker starter. Um, okay. But he's a guy, it's like a package thing. So he won't necessarily okay. be the first guy out there Saturday if they go to that 4 2 5 look. Um, and I'm not sure how familiar a name he is with most Michigan fans. Then, then the other one I've got is uh, Aaron Lewis, who came to Michigan, was on campus for, I don't, I don't know, Ryan probably remembers maybe a few months before he transferred. I mean, he hadn't even. Uh, they hadn't played a game or anything. It was like spring practice, and then by by summer practice, he was he was gone. So that's why I'm counting him as a half. But it seems like he's gotten some snaps too uh, on defense. He has obviously. Lewis was a guy who was um, a herald recruit out of Williamstown, uh, South Jersey. It was kind of interesting. Like his team played in the state final at Rutgers right after Greg Schiano got hired, and uh, he was committed to Michigan time. He showed up wearing a Rutgers cap, and there was a lot of buzz about, you know, is he going to flip? Is he going to flip? Obviously, he didn't flip. Then he signed with Michigan, got to campus. Then he had some, you know, family issues, people, you know, illness in the family. So he came back to Rutgers, played a little bit last year, had a sack and a half against Delaware, has really kind of gotten more snaps this year. Uh, He's a guy who's got a lot of promise. You know, you can kind of look at his frame and everything. I think he's still developing physically, uh, but he's a guy who has played a good amount of snaps for Rutgers, and they're very, you know, very high on for the future. James wanted to touch on, on Rutgers' recruiting real quick. I mean, to me, I've been dis I've marvel marveled what what Ray Shano's been able to do so quickly on the recruiting trail. What do you think he's able to say to these recruits, or how is he able to connect with these recruits to really uh, start getting in some more four stars and real impact talent here to Rutgers? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing he did was he hired a staff that knows New Jersey, knows how to recruit the areas, you know. New Jersey, New York, Philadelphia. You know, now they can go a little bit into Ohio. Um, you know, besides the Shiano, Rutgers being in the Big Ten and Shiano's time in Ohio State, they've reopened the pipeline to Florida, which was something that you know Rutgers built kind of the Shiano era. They had so many great players from Florida, and that continued under Kyle Flood. You know, when they entered the Big Ten, obviously they beat Michigan in 2014, went to a bowl game. Chris Ash has kind of stopped recruiting the state. Uh, and I think that if you look at it, Indiana and Illinois really moved into Florida while Rutgers pulled out. I think Shiano has been able to reclaim Florida. Obviously, he has ties from his time as, at Miami. But I think the biggest thing was all he really did was get the couple of in-state kids that were committed elsewhere were still undecided that Chris Ash should have been able to get committed but couldn't. Uh, but for 2021 and 2022, they've really kind of branched out, as you mentioned, adding those four-star guys. So I think it's it's a staff, you know, Fran Brown, Taekwon Underwood, Sean Gleason, the offensive coordinator, was critical in getting Gavin Wimsat, who's now on campus early, you know, the quarterback prospect. So it's a good staff. I just think they've been selling a vision of Rutgers being a place where especially guys from the area come together, they can contend for Big Ten and national titles. You know, I think they have a very good pitch, and I think they really were forward-thinking when the pandemic first hit coming up with a virtual tour, you know, having the last couple people on campus film everything with their iPhone and cutting it up. And, you know, Zoom, I mean, I I think Zoom has been a a godsend in a way for Rutgers because they're so relentless that Greg Schiano can do 20 Zoom calls in a night and talk to all these recruits. So I think it's, it's been that. I think the big test is going to be when we get to December with signing day, because these are kids who a lot of them, you know, now they've been there, but they all committed to Rutgers without having ever met these coaches in person, having, having never been to campus for the most part, if they've been there, it was just on their own. So I think that's going to be the big test, but I think they're going to hold this class together and it's only going to get bigger because I remember uh, I went to the university of South Carolina and Steve Spurrier said once the key to recruiting is when you get the first couple of guys, 
then everyone else is going to want to join them. And I think Rutgers is getting to that point where they're getting recruits that others are going to want to join. I was talking with Andrew and Aaron before. I'm like, right now, if you take Will Johnson out of Michigan's class, I almost would rather have, I w- I'm more impressed with Rutgers' class at this point than, than Michigan. So it's like, yeah, it's kind of eye-opening considering where Rutgers was a couple of years ago. And, and it will be interesting to see how maybe this affects Michigan because I'm looking at a lot of their commits the last couple of years. And Michigan has gotten a lot of commits from the, some of the same schools as, as some of the guys Rutgers has gotten from. So I'm intrigued to see if there's going to be much crossover. It seems like Michigan's moved on and hasn't focused on New Jersey much with, without as many assistant coaching connections. But it should be uh, should be interesting to follow here moving forward as, as Shiano continues to kind of spread his web. No, definitely. And I was going to say, you know, 2016, you know, 2017, there was a moment where, you know, Jim Harbaugh was the most polarizing guy, you know, in the state of New Jersey for the satellite camp debacle when he was at Paramus Catholic and Urban Meyer was at Fairleigh Dickinson with Chris Ash and everything. And obviously, you know, they got Peppers, they got Rashawn Gary. They also got some guys that didn't really pan out. So, but since, you know, Chris Partridge has moved on and in the past few years, Michigan really hasn't had a presence here. So that kind of head-to-head, you know, controversy, sizzle, battle doesn't necessarily exist. We thought we were going to get a little bit of that last year. It was Mel Tucker and Michigan State were in on two guys that Rutgers was really going at. They got one of them, Geno Vandemark, the big running back. The other guy, Audrey Castine, went to uh, big offensive lineman. Other guy, Audrey Castine, went to Notre Dame. But we really haven't seen that continue so far. So for the most part, you know, it, we haven't really had a Big Ten versus Rutgers kind of showdown in the state yet. Obviously, Ohio State and Penn State are always going to recruit the state, but they're usually going for the top level guys. I mean, I think one of the keys is Shiano, the first time is here and going forward is going to be in New Jersey, the top 10 guys. Obviously, you want to compete for them, but those guys, Alabama, you know, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Notre Dame, they're always going to be in a mix for those guys. It's guys 11 through 20 or Rutgers, when they really were going under Shiano the first time, they were getting almost all those guys every year. That's going to be the key again. James, big picture here. I know we're only year two of Greg Shiano's return to Rutgers, but given the inroads with recruiting and the vibe around the program and the like, it's almost like a catch-22 with Rutgers because they're, they're improving, but they're also stuck in one of the more competitive divisions in all of college football. With Greg back, in, in your mind, what, what do you think is the ceiling for this, this Rutgers football team? Program. You know, I've, I've always said that I think Northwestern is a little bit of a blueprint, obviously, you know, public school versus private school, obviously, you know, Rutgers doesn't have anyone who's dropping $480 million to improve the stadium that's already named after them, like Northwestern had yesterday. But I've always said, you know, the Northwestern, that's a program for about 25 years now has been consistently good. You know, yes, they will have a year where they go three and nine or four and eight, but they've got a lot of six and sixes, a lot of seven and fives. They go to a bunch of bowl games and every couple of years they can really punch up and go win nine, 10 games, win the big 10 West. Now, obviously the East is much more difficult to win than the West, but as we look forward to a time where, you know, who knows if divisions will still be around in a year or two as the playoff expands. I think for Rutgers, the, the realistic ceiling would be go to a bowl game pretty much every year. And there are going to be some years where you can go win nine or 10 games. You can go beat a Michigan, you know, someday beat Ohio state, beat a Penn state. And there's also going to be years where maybe things kind of hit a lull and you, you win three, four games, but then you just kind of ramp right back up. 
Just going back to recruiting for a second, the, the most important pipeline for Rutgers football is the one between Piscataway and the Queen City of the Sound, New Rochelle, New York. Those yes. players built that program. My my former teammates, Ray Rice, Courtney Green, you know, stars of those, really the best Rutgers teams of Shiano's first time. And I, I see they do have a cu- couple guys on the roster now. Uh, they do. Uh, Cedrice Pallant, the starting left guard, a New Rochelle go. guy, Juco guy, but um, obviously New Rochelle native. Yeah, and then they got a they got a guy that that's listed as a receiver. I know he was a star running back uh, for for New York. Jesse Parson, yep. Jesse Parson. There you go. So there you go. The pipeline is is starting to starting to flow again. But you know, Ryan's absolutely right that that Michigan is you know kind of moving away from from Rutgers and the, and the Northeast in general. They had a lot of Connecticut guys and Massachusetts, you know. But you know, Don Brown had ties there and uh, mm-hmm. Chris Partridge and you know there are others that you know are no longer on staff. So. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what head-to-head battles you know Michigan and Rutgers have on the on the recruiting trail. Definitely, and I, I'm also intrigued to see if you know we've seen in Ohio they've got a couple of Ohio kids. You know, I'm intrigued to see especially if Gavin Wimsat, you know, Kentucky, but kind of midwestern Kentucky, you know, right over the bridge from Indiana. If we're going to see Rutgers kind of dabble in the Midwest more, I think they probably need to win more to be effective there. But I, I would be intrigued to see if they try to kind of go into Michigan's backyard and be competitive in that area. James, I, I listened to the Rutgers Rant podcast mm-hmm. on NJ.com um, earlier this week. So I know at least some of you or one of you will be in Ann Arbor for the game. Will you be? I All three of us will be there. I will be three. there. Our columnist, yes, Steve Felitti will be there. And my beat partner, Keith Sargent, will be there. Yes, we, we usually travel definitely too wide to every road game, but the big one's three wide. Well, just uh, Aaron 1A McMahon gets the traveling duties for, for football usually, but uh, all three. All right. That's great. Well, we will welcome you into the press box. I'll probably see you down in that uh, visitors postgame press conference as well. Can't let you go without a prediction. Again, I did listen to to the Rutgers yes. rant, so I kind of know where you're leaning. You've tipped your hand a little bit with the way you've broken down how you think Michigan's going to run the ball. But yeah, any any specific prediction and, and then a score? Yeah, so I... Coming into the week, I thought this was going to be a lot. I always talk about like Nick Saban's like early teams at, at Alabama. They had this knack for like winning games like 28 to 13, where the other team, you know, the whole game, you're sitting there thinking, well, if they make one play, they're down a score. And if they make two plays, they can win the game. But at the same time, you never actually think for a moment that that Alabama is going to lose. I thought it was going to be one of those games. Now with the suspension, with Max Melton not being there and just looking at the general struggles of this defense against the run. And now you're taking out arguably its best players so far this year. I just think this is a game that's going to kind of be a rough, a rough afternoon for Rutgers. I think in the paper, I, I predicted like 38, 17. So I'll, I'll something like that. I, I could think Michigan could definitely, they could score more points. I think Rutgers could even score fewer. I think it's, it's a tough matchup for Rutgers. It's the beginning of a kind of a tough stretch where, Obviously, Michigan this week, Ohio State next week. Rutgers is going to go from 3-0 to 3-2 and really quick. And I think they, the best thing for them is to be to kind of hang in there and you obviously don't have 78-0 or 52 to nothing happen and just kind of stay healthy because the real games are going to start in a couple of weeks when you have this critical stretch of Michigan State at home at Northwestern by week at Illinois. That's a stretch where they've got to get two out of three or maybe even all three to have a chance to go to a bowl game this year. So I think he's got to tread water the next two weeks. But I thought going in they could really hang tough and, and make this a you know one or two score game. But 
I think losing Melton is just going to be a little bit too much for that a defense. It's already going to be under a lot of stress to handle. We can save our predictions for our, our post tomorrow going up on them live.com. But uh, yeah, I think we're thinking uh, from our discussions previously, we're, we're kind of leaning in, in a similar way, you know, not, not 78, nothing, the triple overtime thriller either or somewhere in between. I don't know. I still think Rutgers, they'll make Michigan throw a little bit more. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we, we we started to see it last week. Like, I think they'll be able to defend it a little better than Northern Illinois did, is my point. So, yeah, we'll have to see, you know, Cade McNamara open it up a little bit. But, yeah, I don't think it'll it'll go down. I don't think it'll be a game in the fourth quarter. Oh, no, no. In fact, I think in my prediction, I sent to someone the other day, I, I think it'll be probably a three or four, four score game and maybe Rutgers might try and backdoor cover, but I'm, I'm less convinced of that with Melton out now. I think that's certainly going to impact Rutgers defense. I think they're going to be able to throw the ball or Michigan's going to be able to throw the ball a little bit more. So we'll see. I, I'm not expecting, like you said, a huge blowout, but the same token, I, I think this game could stay competitive for three quarters and Michigan runs away within the fourth. Well, James, thank you very much for joining the Wolverine confidential podcast uh, and stay tuned for more coverage from nj.com and mlive.com leading up to the game. Thanks for listening. Thanks for having me, guys.